This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Go to the Bible and uh, turn to the book of Luke. We're going through the book of Luke. And we're in a particular series that is, at least I've entitled, <clears throat> The Apprentice. The Apprentice. Now, The Apprentice idea, here's my definition. The first slide says, The Apprentice is one who is committed to Jesus, the master to a lifetime of learning. So The Apprentice is my take on the word disciple or the word learner or a person who is simply following after Jesus, which is every person that's hearing my voice right now. You're a follower. You're a disciple. You're an apprentice. In our language, the idea of an apprentice speaks volumes. We know what that means. We have to have a master. Well, our master is Jesus, committed to Jesus, the master, and to a lifetime of learning. You never stop from him in order to become like the master in heart, character, and lifestyle. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, I'm going through different pictures of what Jesus the Master experienced. And I'm going to pattern your life and my life just after Jesus as an apprentice. What Jesus did, I want to do. What he became, I want to become. I'm an apprentice. I'm a learner. I'm a disciple. No more, no less. No sermonizing, no trying to take you off on little trails, just simply going right to the Scripture and saying, all right, if we, if we are to become like Christ, a lot of Scriptures talk about that, if we are to become like our Master, follow in His steps. That's what Peter says, follow in His steps. Then it's fair safe for me to go to the Gospel, look at the Lord Jesus, look at His life, and simply Apply that to every person, every turn of events, every step that he took, so to speak. There's some things, obviously, you're not going to die on a cross like he did physically and shed your blood physically and all that. But all of that is in the Bible, New Testament, about our cross and what we sacrifice and what we do. That is in the Bible about us. And so those things that Jesus did, even the resurrection, we also have a resurrection, not just the one after we die physically and we raise from the dead to join Jesus in the air at the second coming. There's another resurrection in the Bible that is applied to us as believers. So every part of Jesus' life applies to you and I. Last week we talked about the Luke 3 scripture. I'd like you to go there. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. This was last week. We talked about the baptism of Jesus. One day when the crowd was being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized as he was praying. I want you to note this. I'm reading a certain translation, whatever translation you have. It'll have this rendering of words. But while he was praying, some people miss that when it comes to the baptism. But in the midst of his own prayer, while he was praying, the heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. Open heavens, the dove, a voice, you're my beloved son. I'm fully, totally 
pleased with you. Now, keep in mind, these events just kind of roll right through the pages for a few chapters here, and then time begins to uh, bring it into a three and a half year time period. But right now we're talking about going from chapter three to chapter four hours. We're not talking about months. We're not talking about Jesus is baptized. And then it goes to uh, verse 23. Jesus was about 30 years of age when he began his public ministry. And then it goes through his genealogy. And then you go right over to chapter four. Now follow with me to chapter four. And I want you to mark your Bible. Uh, I'm going to use some specific words here. But I want you to mark your Bible as we go through. <clears throat> because after the baptism, this happens in chapter 4. And this is the, the area we're going to be taking up this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Then, everyone say out loud the word then. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness where the devil, if you're marking your Bible, circle the word then, underline the word Holy Spirit, underline the word led by the Spirit or that phrase, circle the word devil, tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing and he was hungry. Well, that's what happens when you don't eat. He was hungry. Verse 3, then the devil, circled the word devil, said to him, well, so the devil speaks. Then it goes through the temptations, which most of you might know these, but we will touch those in just a moment. All right, Luke chapter 4, in the message translation says, now Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days, he was tested, tempted, tested, interchangeable sometimes, two different Greek words. I don't need to go into it, but a temptation and a test can fall into the same category. He was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest. Now, the writer of Hebrews is referring back to the ministry of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Why? Why? Why does Jesus so sympathize with our weakness, with our problems, with our faults, with our flaws, with our pains and our aches and our brokenness? And Well, Hebrews says, but within all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, the difference between you and Jesus and me and Jesus is probably the phrase, yet without sin, because I'm tempted and sometimes I sin. I'm tested, sometimes I fail. Jesus being the master and the model, he was tempted and tested, never sinned. Now, there's a whole theological debate. Could Jesus have sinned? Well, Emmanuel, the Son of God, God with us, the deity, humanity, the mixed, who Jesus was, the point is he did not sin. He was sinless. He went through the test, but he felt the test. 
He felt the test here in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 4, and then we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we go all the way through the life of Christ, and there are times when Jesus felt the pain of what you and I feel. When Lazarus died, he felt the pain. When he saw his mother at the cross, he felt for his mother. Jesus in his humanity could feel what you and I feel, yet he never, ever sinned. He never failed. He never murmured. He never had unbelief. He never ran from the trial. He never gave in to the temptation. He was never cornered by the devil, and the devil got a score on the board. Ever, never, not once did the devil ever score with Jesus. Every single time, Jesus won the battle. Well, we know that he understands our battle because he was tempted as we are. Satan tempts Jesus. Now, put down these three things. When you go to the book of Luke and you, and you study these few verses we're going to look at, Satan tempts Jesus just like he tempts you and I. First of all, to put, he tempted Jesus to do these three things to put his own needs above the will of God. Every one of the temptations was later fulfilled by the Father, where the Father fulfilled the needs of Jesus at the right time, but the devil came to tempt Jesus to actually fulfill his own need at the wrong time. Second, to act independently of the Father. You can do this. You can turn stones into bread. You can jump off the temple. You can be worshipped. You can do all these things. Every single one of those things would be fulfilled in the life of Christ. The Father would fulfill every one of those. Everyone would worship Christ. He would be fed by the angels at the end of the temptation. Every single thing that was coming his way, the Father already had it planned out. But the devil likes us to act independently of the Father and take things that are not ours at the wrong time and fulfill them by the power of the flesh instead of believing and trusting in God. And so a temptation comes for us to use our own strength and knowledge and wisdom and what we want, not caring what the Father is going to do, to push us into our own realm. And that's what he was trying to do with Jesus, and Jesus simply would not do it. Third, to sacrifice his secure future for the present. I'll give you something right now. Jesus, I can make this happen. Now, the devil is a liar, but he wasn't lying about this. He was the prince and power of the air. He had been given certain authority on planet Earth. He had been given certain authority for people to worship him. He had been given certain authority. He had certain realms he could offer. So he said to Jesus, I'll give you all of this. You don't have to go through the cross. The pain, the rejection, horribleness, shedding your blood. Jesus knew what was coming. The devil knew what was coming. Heaven knew what was coming. The Father knew what was coming. So the devil says, you want to bypass some pain? I can do this for you, and you won't have the pain. He was taking Jesus out of his destiny to fulfill something just for his present need. Jesus said, no, no. I don't trust you, and I'm not going to trust you. 
pain. If that's what it takes, I'll go through the pain. All right. <clears throat> Jesus overcomes the temptations. How? Three things. By trusting God in all things at all times. Simple temptations and tests come down to a trust factor. If you trust God to take you through, hold on to his hand very tightly. He holds on to your hand and he takes you from one point to the next point. Why? Because the father knows exactly what he's doing with you. He will take care of you. He will never, the father will never lie to you. The father will never forsake you. The father will never harm you. The father will never give you more than you can handle. The Father will never leave you to yourself. The Father will only work for your good. You have to trust because sometimes it doesn't look like it's good. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's right. Second, by believing God will do all things right in his time, in his way. Even though you want it so desperately right now, take your hands off of it. Let the Father have his way. Let the Father work his will. Let the Father do something in you that will cause you to bend, lean into God, and trust. Absolutely trust that God's will is the best will. God knows what he's doing. By using... Third, by using the word of God against every word that the devil threw at him. Now, Jesus is the model. He's the master. How did he overcome the devil? Very simple. He trusts God. Very simple. He would not go outside of his own designated will of God that he knew he was supposed to do. And he quoted the Bible. Jesus was a Bible man. Every temptation that came to Jesus, he turned right around and said, it is written. If you want to put down a great phrase and circle it in your Bible, you might know this, but be reminded. The way to overcome temptation is to not argue with the devil. Do not argue with yourself. The way to overcome the devil is to never allow reasoning, supremacy in your thought process. The way to overcome the devil is not on his terms. Well, devil, that's not true. This is what it should be like. And I'm going to tell you, and, and you can talk to the devil and trash talk the devil if you want. But the way to resist the devil is to use the Bible. It's to quote the scripture. It's to put the word of God right in his face. Of course, you can't do that if you don't know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you'll end up arguing with the devil about things you should not even talk with him about. You must become a Bible person. All right? Now, why do tests happen? Three more. Here these are. Test happens, just in case you might be in one or a temptation, before great things begin. It says in this book right here, Jesus was about to begin the greatest ministry the world had ever seen. He was about to fulfill prophecy. All the prophets prophesied about his day. 
He was about to heal the sick and raise the dead and, and heal the blind eyes and preach the kingdom of God and change from the law to grace, from the old to the new and building up to the divine supreme sacrifice of the cross. Jesus was about to do something awesome, magnificent, universally shaken. It would be so awesome, the whole universe would be affected by it. If you're going through some tests, whenever you start tests, or severe temptations, remind yourself, oh, something great is about to happen. Because the devil's trying to take me out. The devil's trying to get me off track. The devil's trying to get me preoccupied. The devil's trying to get my attention. Wow, I am really onto it. Thank you, devil, for tempting me and testing me right now because I understand God is up to something great. And I'm going to wait for it, and I'm going to go through it because something great is about to happen. Test prepares us for great things. The harder, deeper the test, the better is the promotion. The harder and deeper the test, the more fruits, the more influence. Everybody wants to be a Joseph, but they only want to be a Joseph when he finally got to the throne. They don't want to be a Joseph in the pit, a Joseph away from his brothers, a Joseph that's been offended, a Joseph that's gone through everything that he had to go through. Everybody would like to write the book of Daniel, but they just don't want a lion's den. Everyone would like to be the Apostle Peter to walk on the water, but they don't want to be what he actually goes through after that. Everybody would like resurrection life, but to have resurrection life, there's a thing called death. And so every piece of greatness has a price tag. And you can deny the preparation for greatness by denying the tests and just simply say, I'm not going through that. I am not going into the wilderness. I am not going through the pain. I am not going to wait for this. I am not going to let someone step into the water again before I get there. I'm not going to go through this again. I want to assure you that Jesus has your back. He has your future. He knows what he's doing. And the depth of the test Many times, it's a prophecy of the greatness of your future. Fanny Crosby, <clears throat> all the songs she wrote, over a thousand. But wow, the suffering, the blindness. The... I read about great people, and I continually say, when I read their biographies, and that would be my hobby, I continually say, Great people are made out of brokenness, fire, disappointments, and deep valleys. There ain't no other way around it. Jesus is the master. Deep pain. Deep stuff goes on. You study great people, and you'll find somewhere in their journey where there was a great test to give it all up. Cross over to the other side. 
to lay something down that you don't even know they had to lay down. You don't even know what they gave up. You don't know what happened in their life to prepare them for that particular song or that sermon or that ministry or that business or that blessing. Sometimes we look at wealthy people and we kind of envy them and say, well, they're just kind of favored by God. But you know, favor has a price tag too. And usually there's disappointments and pain and people that have been disloyal and people that have taken your business and started five businesses from your business when they were working for you and they shouldn't have done it, but they did it. You had to maintain a good spirit and forgive them and they still took a lot of your money away, but you maintained the integrity of your heart. But through it all, the Lord made a greater man, made a greater platform, dug a deeper trench into the integrity of that person so that when the major blessings of the Lord began to flow, it flowed into a broken vessel, not filled with pride but a person who would face the test overcame it. The word then. Luke 4 and verse 1. Then, 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 then. This word stands out to me in the forefront of my text and gets my attention. And this is what it says to me. The timing of test and temptation is always the word then. Then, then, after spiritual experiences, expect a test. Then, after open heavens, expect a wilderness. Then, after the clear voice of God, expect some confusion. Expect some tests. After a mighty affirmation of the Father, expect some doubt, rejection, and bumps. It's always the then factor that carries us into the unlocked treasury of God that, that opens up the heavens as we go through the then factor. It's always looking at life, understanding if something great is happening now, there's probably a test to follow it. If a test is happening now, there's probably something great to follow it. Either you're moving in or you're moving out, but either way, you better be prepared for what happens when the blessing of the Lord comes. Tests and trials are God-given opportunities. I don't like to preach it that way, but that's Bible. They teach us after the then factor how to honor Christ in hard times. They teach us how to prove our convictions. They teach us how to hang on to our faith. Sorrow teaches us the definition of joy. Unbelief teaches us the value of faith. Lack teaches us the value of abundance. All the opportunities you're going through to seek and encounter them after Jesus is to understand how valuable, how valuable trials and temptations are to you and I. We identify with and follow Jesus. Luke 4, verse 2, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Here's a couple statements you need to get down and you need to understand. 
One is we have the same adversary. We have the same adversary, the devil. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your, 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 your adversary, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Peter says, your adversary, the devil, same devil. We have the same adversary, we have the same devil who seeks to devour. And the Bible says, 1 Peter 8 and 9, 5, verse 8 and 9 says, resist him. Be steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world and Christ before you. So resist the devil. That's why I say push back sometimes. Stand your ground and push back. Life is not all in the natural realm. Everything that happens to you is not just in the natural realm. There are spiritual forces that come against your life. It's not just your family identity. It's not just your past. It's not just the stuff you go through. There are things in your life that are in the spiritual realm. The devil. When's the last time you actually said out loud, I think I'm going to rebuke the devil. I think I'm going to resist the devil. I think I'm not going to let the devil take ground on this. I think this is a devil thing. I sense something spiritual in this warfare and I'm going to resist the enemy of my soul and I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to believe God for a victory. It's not just about the natural realm of life. The devil's involved, as he was with Jesus. So he is with you. Revelation 12, 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of the offspring who keep the commandments of God, have the testimony of Jesus, same devil. Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and then he breaks it down. He says, we wrestle against principalities. Ephesians 6, 12. We wrestle against powers. We wrestle against rulers of the darkness. It's in your Bible. We wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our warfare is not just the flesh. It's not just your mind. It's not just your appetites. It's not just what happens to you. It's not just the weird curveballs. It's not just the unusual circumstance. It's also a thing called powers, principalities, spiritual forces that work against your life. Second, we have the same temptations. What the devil says to Jesus in verse 3, 7, and 9. Verse 3, verse 7, and verse 9. Three different things the devil says to Jesus. We have the same identical temptations. Same ones. <clears throat> Put down 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. 
And if I took the three temptations of Christ, I could parallel them with 1 John 2, 15, 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Got it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Potent rebuke. Hmm. For all that is in the world, I've just been told directly, don't love the world, nothing in the world, don't do it. And then he says, just in case you wonder what it is, just in case. For all that is in the world is, and every temptation has these three things in it. Every temptation. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He says, if you can overcome those three things, you'll overcome the world. The lust of the flesh, seeking to satisfy our fleshly desires that come from our carnal nature any way we want, any time we want, not waiting for the Father to bring righteous fulfillment. Lust in the natural realm, we always attach it to sexual things, but it's, in the Bible, the word lust is a lot more than just a sexual thing. But that would be one illustration for a person to have lust, to have sex with someone, and they won't wait to get married properly and do it properly. The lust of the flesh robs the circumstance by taking what they want when they want it, not waiting for the righteousness of marriage, not respecting the word of God, not respecting the will of God, taking advantage of another person. So the lust of the flesh can take things before you're supposed to have them. The lust of the flesh won't wait. The lust of the flesh has no patience. The lust of the flesh doesn't care who it hurts. The lust of the eyes, looking at things the wrong way, it's the wrong perspective. The pride of life, our desire to be known, praised by other people, how much of life is built on that? Want to be a ruler over people? Pride of life. Cause you to mishandle people. All right. We need to be alert to the opportune time for the devil to attack. I want you to mark in your Bible, Luke 4, verse 13. Will you do that? Mark in your Bible, Luke 4, verse 13. Where it says, very, very interesting verse, by the way, I think. <clears throat> very interesting verse. That completed the testing, Luke 4, 13, 4, 13, message translation. The devil retreated temporarily. Lying in wait for another opportunity. Another translation says, when the devil finished tempting Jesus in every way, he left him for a while. Another translation, when the devil had ended every, the complete cycle of temptation, he temporarily left him. That is, he stood off to the side, saying, well, I'll just wait. Okay, he's strong right now. Okay, he won't give in right now. But he's coming out of a prayer and fasting time, and prophecies are being fulfilled. All heaven is cheering him on. 
I'll stand aside and I'll wait for a better opportunity. When I find that opportunity, I'll move right in again to try to get Jesus off track. Be alert to the opportune times that the devil has you marked for. Even though you overcome the lust of the flesh, lust, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, or whatever, doesn't mean he won't come back a different way. Trap you. Sometimes our weakest moment is when we feel the strongest. Sometimes our foolish mistakes is when we think we'd never make them. Sometimes our doubt and unbelief moves in right in the middle of a miracle happening to us. Be alert. He's seeking a way. A fine door squeaking the window. An opportunity where a circumstance just slams you. A circumstance gets to your heart. And you begin to murmur out loud, why me and why this and where's God? I don't understand. And the devil will listen to your conversation. He cannot read your mind. That's why it's so important to keep your mouth shut. He can't read your mind. Even if you're thinking those things and I get some of those thoughts. I never say them. I don't even pray them out loud. I rebuke my own mind and I go forward with a right confession. The devil will listen, watch, strategize. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that he strategizes. It, it has the idea that he takes notes on you. Researches your life. Oh, you know, they have a real money problem. It reoccurs. Oh, they have a real critical spirit. Hmm, years of it. Oh, they are really easily offended and they carry offense for a long time. Bitterness is a true, true open door for them. And he takes notes. And even though you don't get it the first time you don't forgive or the first time uh, you criticize, you don't have the devil flood your life, but he'll find an opportunity where the door is so wide open that he'll just flood your life, come in for the kill, sour your spirit, empty your heart, turn your personality weird, make you into a person you don't want to be because you didn't watch for that opportune moment. Here's some weapons I want you to write down. For you to overcome the devil, remember, he will attack. He is there. He is real. He hates you. He wants to devour you, destroy your future, knock you off track, knock you off track. There's a hundred people that you influence. You have family, family members. You have people that look to you. If he can get to you, he gets the dozens of other people. Here's what we do. One, the blood of Jesus. The power of the blood of Jesus in your life to cleanse you, open you up and let your conscience be purged. The blood of Jesus that gives you a right relationship to the Word of God, read it, confess it, memorize it. Three, positive confession. Fill your mouth with a positive word about yourself, 
I'm forgiven, I'm chosen, I have a destiny, God is so good to me, everything's gonna work out, I believe God is at work right now, God's gonna surprise me with great things, grace is upon my life. Positive confession is simply aligning your mouth with the Bible. When you align your mouth with the Bible, your confession will change. Four, have faith in God. Above all, it says, taking the shield of faith. Five, learn to pray with power. Learn to pray with power. Increase your prayer life. Six, praise God with intention. When bad things happen, fill your mouth with praise. When you don't know what to do, fill your mouth with praise. When the heavens seem closed, fill your mouth with praise. When there seem to be rulers of darkness coming over you or your household, fill your house with praise. Clear the air. Number seven, gather with God's people. An isolated person is a person who can come under great attack. Go to church. Go to the services. Get into prayer and worship. Have people pray with you. Don't back away from the church. Eight, let the Holy Spirit work in you. Ask for the Holy Spirit to work. And nine, <clears throat> use your testimony. Tell people what God's done in your life. You'll find people going, wow, whoa, awesome. And then you start thinking, it is pretty awesome, isn't it? Wow, whoa. God's done so much. Use your testimony. Tell people about what God has done. Lift up the grace of the Lord. Lift up answered prayer. Lift up provisions that's coming to your life. Use your testimony. The grace and the power of God. Can I hear an amen? amen. Stand to your feet. How many would say, Pastor Frank, you know what? This word really helped me. Come on. This word really helped me. Hands up. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for a divine hedge around the people of God. Lord, either we're coming into greatness or you're preparing us for something great or we're coming out of something great, whatever it might be. Lord, we recognize that tests and trials can be overcome properly. And Lord, we will move through this and we will overcome in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.